Hello and welcome to Digital Health Unplugged. I'm Andrea Downey, Senior Reporter for Digital Health. We are now just five weeks away from our biggest event of the year, Digital Health Rewired 2020. Back at London Olympia on the 3rd and 4th of March, we've got seven fantastic tracks spanning the topics of digital transformation, interoperability, clinical software, AI and analytics, and much more. This year, we are adding a dedicated CCIO and CIO track, and Rewired Pitchfest is back for another year, giving startups a chance to showcase their ideas to NHS IT leaders. We will also be hosting the Leadership Summit on the 3rd of March, which brings together 300 CCIOs, CIOs, CNIOs, senior digital leaders, and anyone who wants to learn from the experience of those leading large-scale digital innovation. The ever-inspiring Shuri Network has been confirmed for the summit, as have several big-name keynote speakers, including journalist and author of Invisible Women, Caroline Criado Perez, President of Tech UK and well-known champion of diversity in tech, Jacqueline de Rojas, NHSX Chief Matthew Gould, and NHSX CCIO Simon Eccles. So it's going to be a packed few days that promises to be quite a lot of fun. Joining me today are two of our rewired speakers, Ross Fullerton, Director of Strategy and Technology for London Ambulance Service. Hi, Andrea. Tom Witcher, founder of Doctor Doctor. Hi, Andrea. And John Hoaxner, Digital Health Editor-in-Chief. Hi, Andrea. Uh, so, Ross, you will be talking in our cloud and mobile theatre about the digital journey of the London Ambulance Service. And quite a lot's been happening for LAS in the last year or so. You've started giving staff access to patient data to improve care. Uh, and the National Record Locator Service was launched, which is giving paramedics access to mental health plans of patients they're called out to. So take us through what the digital journey at LAS has been like. Yeah, thanks, Andrea. And it's really exciting to be here and to be able to talk a bit about what we've done uh, with uh, listeners to the podcast. Um, we have gone from being fairly blind when we see patients because we were walking into an environment with no information about them other than what was a bit like an SMS that would come down onto the screen in the ambulance and give a bit of a clue as to where the ambulance crew was going and what they were going to find. And our crews are brilliant at uh, deciding what to do in that context with very little information about who the patient is, what their medical background is, uh, what else is going on in their life and how to treat them. So we have gone through quite a journey over the last year and a half to take them from having absolutely nothing to every one of our frontline clinicians having their own iPad. Uh, it's a personal issue, they take it home at night, they can watch Netflix on it, something they get to own and keep for themselves. Uh, but that's been a real key enabler to them starting to adopt technology in a role, which is one of the most demanding roles in healthcare at the front line of London Bridge Terror Inquest, uh, major incidents on the road network, or people who have got genuine urgent care needs day to day all across London. So being able to give people with access to patient data so that they can make better decisions with the patient uh, has been a real big journey that our crews are really starting to understand how to make best use of. And we're seeing them uh, working hand in hand with mental health nurses, for example. And we've got joint response models where uh, a paramedic and a mental health nurse will go out together in a response car, access the care plan for that patient and treat the patient as a whole, their mental health needs and their physical needs all together. And that's massively transformed the way that we treat those patients. And we're seeing that patients that we would use to maybe convey 80% of them to hospital with that joint response model and access to data 
only 19% of them were taken to hospital, which is a complete transformation. And that, that can only happen with access to data to inform better decision making. So really exciting for our organisation and better for patients in the system. Yeah. And so this started out as a pilot in Camden, didn't it, uh, last year? Have you got an update on how that's going? Well, so there were two, two slightly related pieces of work. So the pilot in Camden has been about providing access to the summary care record, mm-hmm. which um, listeners will probably know provides information about anyone who's registered with a GP in England and Wales and gives a little bit of information about them, who their GP is, who their next of kin is, and in some cases also tells us what medication or allergies that they may have as well. Uh, The pilot has been really well received for two reasons. One, it's really easy to use. And you may have heard the announcement uh, by the Secretary of State that the NHS has too many IT logons. The beauty of this is on the iPad, you use your fingerprint or your face ID if there was that on the iPad, that unlocks the records and you can see it straight away. There's no other username, there's no other password, and that has been critical in a world of getting people to remember lots and lots of things to making this really work. Secondly, uh, access to that basic information has has changed the outcomes for a number of patients. So uh, being able to find next of kin information where someone's unable to speak and is in an end-of-life care situation, really helpful. Understanding a quick straight away who the GP is so we can make a phone call to find background information out. Um, or asking a patient what medication they're taking, they, they list three different things. We look up, they've got seven things prescribed at the moment. Are you taking them? Are you not taking them? It changes the nature of the care we give. So, <clears throat> excuse me, our crews love it because it helps them do a better job uh, and genuine impact on, on what's happening. So we are rolling that out pan London right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every paramedic in London will have access to that as soon as we can get them signed up. Brilliant. Uh, you've also previously said that the LIFE programmes are essential for patient care as they give you a clear picture of the people you're looking after. How important is that access to data um, from programmes like the LIFE programme? Uh, so for me it's absolutely crucial and, and in a range of settings in which we operate. So we, we provide care on the telephone to callers to 999 and we provide 111 integrated urgent care for all of East London. Um, And people call those services with a really wide range of clinical needs, some of which will be acute trauma, some of which will be quite complex, probably primary care needs. On the phone, we can treat those patients so much better if we understand, have they been to hospital? What does the discharge letter say? Uh, Have they had any tests recently? What does their normal look like for that patient in terms of the heart pressure? Um, Or blood pressure, sorry. So understanding all of that information using it remotely when we are treating people on the phone or increasingly now using video to treat them as well or using that information on scene with a patient is absolutely essential because all of those bits of information help us make the right decision for the patient some of sometimes that is that we we convey the patient when we might not have done because actually they're in a different situation from what normal looks like so the summary care record's great but it gives only a small amount of information National record locator is great because it starts to open up the information. The local health and care record uh, is transformative because it's a much, much richer set of data. Um, the, the challenge for us is understanding how to use best because if we've got a workforce of 3,500 frontline staff who are used to going into an environment with no clinical data in front of them and we suddenly present a patient's entire clinical history, that could overwhelm the clinician in terms of their decision-making and leads to different outcomes. So some real challenges in there to think about how we get it right and how we use it most effectively, but it's absolutely the right thing to do and uh, making great strides. 
with kind of um, NHS services under such in, intense kind of pressure at the moment, how would you say, Ross, that um, data and digital is making a difference just to that sheer workload that kind of London Ambulance is facing? We were speaking before the um, podcast about, you know, how the services just swamped at the moment. So where's digital making a difference? Um, so it's a great question, and I think that the... The challenge for us is in dealing with that ever-increasing level of demand, uh, with the growing complexity of the acuity of the patients with an ageing population in a really, really busy city. So um, there's a number of ways that data can help, partly in better analytics to understand when we're going to be really busy so that we can plan our rostering and scheduling around that more effectively. Partly about um, providing the best care, the right care in the right place. So it's not always about taking someone to hospital. That's not right for the patient. It's not right for the system. Uh, it's not right for the clinician. And actually, we, we find that everyone knows hospitals and A&Es get busy in the winter. If we try and take more and more patients to A&E, then the, that doesn't help the whole system overall. So using data to understand what alternative care pathways are available, how can we access them? If you look in London, there are... 32 different clinical commissioning groups, or CCGs, with their local services all being slightly different. So the mental health care provision, the crisis cafe in Lambeth, will be different from Southwark, which will be different from Westminster. Our crews can't remember all of that. So knowing that this week what is open on a Wednesday afternoon at 5pm is something that we use data to provide access to that in real time so crews know what they can do other than take someone to an emergency department. So... Better planning of how we operate, better decision making with patients on scene, um, and then starting to look at and through things like One London, understanding the outcomes of what we did to make sure we're delivering the best quality of service overall. So there's a wide range of things through there that um, we're going to continue to learn how to make the best use of. That's great. One last question, and then I'll hand back to Andrew. So promise of lots more money for the NHS um, over the next um, few years. Um, should some of that money kind of land um, in your direction to either accelerate something you're doing already or do something new specifically with digital, what would be top of your wish list, Ross? Oh, great question. Um, it would be accelerating our adoption of uh, integration with the rest of the health and care system. Um, ambulance services historically have slightly been forgotten around, where the emergency service that kind of got blue lights and drive around in, in vehicles, but we haven't really been treated as part of the healthcare system. So our skills and expertise in uh, linking up with the rest of the NHS, we need to spend quite a lot of time and effort on getting that right. Um, so I think when you're talking about you know access to data and patient records, I think the obvious thing that comes up is privacy and patient consent. I want to bring you in on this as well, Tom, because I think you obviously have to deal with this at Doctor Doctor. Absolutely. How do you go about making sure patient privacy is protected and you've got consent from all of the patients that you're treating? So um, we always have a, a consent-first process. I think it's really interesting when you talk to people in an outpatient setting particularly. Um, they're concerned about what's happening with the data, but they're also concerned when it's not being shared. So it's always important to balance those two things off each other. And um, one of the great things about digital is you can make it really clear to patients as they use a product, and as they use a product in layers, how their data is being used, and kind of do a, um, a sliced consent model, if you like. So um, whenever we onboard a patient onto our product, we make sure that they understand where that is being used. We're really proactive with all of our GDPR policies. Um, and I think if patients understand where and when their data is being used and how it's improving their care, they're much more likely to, um, to want to share further. Yeah, of course. Is this something that you face as well in LAS? 
Yeah, and it's a real live issue because almost going back to the, the challenges of we've been slightly different from the rest of the health service, people don't understand our data very well. Uh, so we often find that if people ask for access to some data for research purposes, they misinterpret it uh, and they draw conclusions around uh, the outcomes for a patient, whether we take them to hospital or not, which may or, not be, may, or may not be correct. So there's a range of different things for us to consider. Um, the One London Local Health and Care Records Programme is uh, going to be doing quite a lot of work over the next couple of months on a deliberative engagement with Londoners to really understand what are Londoners content with people using data for. There's lots of evidence around direct care and people kind of expect that the NHS has access to NHS data for direct care reasons. What there's a lot less clarity on is what people's expectations are around how data is used for other purposes. So healthcare system planning, research, right. uh, quality improvements. Where are the lines there? What does that mean? And what are the expectations? And how do we manage that as a health and social care system overall? So as part of the, the work we're doing, LAS hosts the One London programme for all the pan-London deliverables. So that all the things that join all of London up is a real live conversation for us right now because uh, you've legitimately got different views from different communities in London depending on their characteristics, their background, their heritage and experience. They think about things differently and they're content with things being shared for different reasons and we've got to really explore how we get that right for both direct use but also for the other uses that we're exploring as well. Yeah, I mean, I think as soon as you mentioned data sharing, in a lot of instances, it gets people's backs up, doesn't it? Because people are worried about where their information is going and what it's being used for. So what would your advice be to people that are in similar positions to you that are dealing with patient data on a daily basis? Uh, so my perspective would be understand what you're doing first. So what are the policies you have in place? And make sure you start by being compliant with what you've already said, because what will undermine any work that we're trying to do as a system is people abusing the policies that have been agreed. So get the basics right. You mentioned GDPR earlier, data protection legislation, Caldecott, all those things. Have your policies and procedures and be assured that you're compliant with them. But then work with the colleagues and system around you around what, what are those expectations? Who owns the data? What does consent look like? How are you managing that? Uh, and engage with the population whose data it is to really think about how that's going to be used. Um, I'm, I'm personally on the fence about individual consent at the moment. I think that would be extremely complex for the system to manage at scale, but I can understand the challenges that individuals may have with not being able to give or withdraw individual consent for all sorts of different uses. So I think it's really complex, but I would engage with it, engage your patient groups and engage your colleagues in the health and care system. So I build on a lot of what Ross said there. We did a big infrastructure move last year where we put uh, our patient data into ASIA. So we moved from dedicated N3 iron into ASIA and then put a um, HSCN express route in place. And that was, I think we were the first private company to do that. We were really excited about what it enabled us to do, but we knew we had to be on the front foot. So before we did anything, we engaged with the centre. We made sure that we were proactively going and having these conversations. And then actually doing the same thing with patients. So we made an effort to, whenever patients asked us a question about their data, sort of be one step ahead of them and almost offer them more than what they were asking, to the point where we actually had one particular patient who uh, was quite concerned about how our data was being used. She 
recognised us as a third party, she wasn't sure if she'd given permission for that. And we ended up inviting her into our office and she became a huge advocate for what we did and ended up actually talking to other patient groups mm -hmm. about the fact that um, she'd come and met us, she'd understood how the data was being used and how it was adding value to her care. And Tom, you're a startup doctor, doctor um, that works very closely with um, NHS Trust. For anyone who's not familiar, could you just give a, a summary of how, how it is you work with Trust? What, what's, what does Doctor Doctor do? So Doctor Doctor is a patient engagement platform. So we sit on top of the EPR or the PAS, and um, it's been a really exciting time for us actually over the last year or so because. As organisations have sort of developed their EHR strategy out and there's been this big investment in kind of electronic patient records over the last few years, what we're starting to see is CIOs begin to leverage that investment. Uh, and by plugging a piece of software like ours in, on top of their kind of their clinical systems, they can begin to sort of uh, develop new models of care, they can begin to use their data in new ways and they can begin to transact with patients in ways they hadn't previously. So a really good example of that is I think most people know us for our appointment booking services. So that's where we started. So we started with allowing patients to schedule and reschedule their appointments with acute hospitals. And the hypothesis behind that was that if we could pick off something which was really transactional and apparently quite simple, but was a major pain point for patients, we could channel shift people to digital effectively. And that worked for us. So back in 20. 15, we started working with Dyson St. Thomas. We did a massive rollout project across that organisation and we took them from no online patient interactions at all at the beginning of the project to eight months later doing a quarter of a million digital interactions a month for the Trust. The net benefit of that was a significant financial saving. So they went on to save £3.2 million a year from reduced administration. And that's important because it's a gateway to doing more exciting and, and bigger change management projects. So we've spent a lot of time, particularly this year, thinking about once you have an engaged patient population, what can you do with them? Right. Uh, and a great example of that is the work we've done at Nottingham. So uh, we worked with uh, Nottingham University Hospitals over the last year and a bit, um, funded by the Academic Health Science Network there, looking at follow-up production, which is obviously something which everyone's talking about at the moment because it's in a long-term plan. And what we've found is that by um, allowing patients to self-manage online, we've reduced oncology follow-ups there by 40 to 60%. Wow, big numbers. It's a massive thing. And if you think about scaling that up across the NHS, it's, it's you know, billions of pounds a year of, of cost which you can avoid. And the best thing about it is it's, it's one of the few things that you can do as an NHS acute trust which saves money and improves patient experience at the same time. So how many trusts is Dr. Doctor in now? So we now work with uh, 20 at-scale acute deployments and we consider an at-scale deployment as we manage more than 80% of the outpatient activity. So it's about 30 million NHS appointments a year, which I worked out the other day is about 8.5% of all the NHS at, at, at acute activity in the country at the moment. That's quite a lot. Yeah, it's, it's been a long journey getting there. <laughs> um, and obviously startups are a key theme for us at Rewire, and I think you know, we're engaging with more of them through Pitchfest, mm. um, which we run at summer schools as well. Um, and you've obviously come up through an accelerator program. You were coming up through the Digital Health London accelerator program, and I believe you're also an NHS Innovation Fellow. Yeah. Um, so, what are the importance of accelerator programs, and you know, with the NHS engaging with startups that have ideas like the idea you had with Doctor Doctor? We found the accelerators really critical, actually. Um, I think a couple of things have changed since we started our, our business. So, we've been around for a few years now. Uh, when I started talking about patient engagement as a thing, I think, you know, I'd go and talk to someone in a, in a hospital and they'd talk, tell me I was crazy. 
Why would I, why would I do this? Yeah. Why would I give patients any control at all? That's a terrible idea, go away. Um, and the rhetoric has changed really significantly over the last few years. And that's a combination of, um, you know, the message that we're getting from right at the very top through to uh, people within organisations realising the benefits of bringing patients on the journey with them. And the accelerators have been a big part of that. So the Digital Health at London Accelerator, we were on the first, co- first cohort of that. Uh, it was a really important mechanism to give what we're doing and what all the other digital startups in London are doing, of which there are so many doing a disparate number of very exciting things, legitimacy. Suddenly people were being told that you know there was a bit of a kite mark here and this thing mattered and these people have, have thought about what they're doing. Um, and what's really nice is that then acts as a kind of a bit of a pipeline. So um, I went on to become an innovation fellow, as you said. Uh, I found the National Innovation Accelerator a brilliant platform to share best practice. And it brings together a really wide range of different sorts of innovators. So there's tech people, there's clinicians, there's physios, there's porters. It's all these different people coming together and sharing the challenges they have. And what tends to happen is, not only is it a very cathartic experience for us all, but um, we begin talking about adoption and spread. Mm. And an adoption and spread are really the challenge here. Actually, innovation is, is not a problem. The NHS is full of fantastic innovation, driven by very smart, very driven people. The challenge is getting it adopted at scale. And that's where the accelerators really come good. So from a startup's perspective, what do you need organisations like NHSX to be doing in order to help startups scale innovation? Hmm. That's a great question. So, <laughs> so we, we, were, we went on from the NIA to get um, some NHS England central support. So the uh, innovation team within NHSE uh, put us on the innovation technology payment last year. So they funded um, a number of pilot projects for our product. Um, And in return, we did some really in-depth evaluation of benefits. And we've got some fantastic results from that. Probably the best example is the Royal Orthopaedic Hospital in Birmingham, where uh, we were measuring non-attendance. We managed to reduce that non-attendance rate by 35%, um, which for a specialist centre was really impressive. Um, And then feeding that learning back into all the other work that's happening in NHSE is is a really important thing. So kind of closing the cycle. Ross, I want to bring you in on this one as well. Is there room for startups and sort of, you know, innovators to be working with an organisation like LAS? Uh, There absolutely is room and it's essential that we do. We've also actually worked with Digital Health London and uh, one of the other companies that I think was around (coughs) the same time as Tom was going through it, which was Perfect Ward, were one of the companies that we still work with today and are core to how we operate our service every day. I think the challenge for us continues to be finding the ways of procuring from organisations that we don't have an already existing easy procurement route for. Uh, Because very often you get in the hurdles of, ah, well, we need to go and run an open tender and that then, or it's not on a framework. So making it easier for us to buy will be absolutely essential to adoption increasing its pace. Because I completely agree with Tom, it's it's not a lack of ideas or innovation. Uh, We spend too much of our time finding ways to do the right thing because of those constraints that we are legally obliged to comply with. Uh, So that is, I think, a real challenge for us to, to look at how we, as a system, can address. And I think that's where NHSX can help find ways, for example, simple frameworks that there's a low barrier to entry for innovators that then we can procure through up to a certain scale. So we don't want to be circumventing what should be good use of money in a public sector environment. 
but sometimes it just is a, a real challenge for us is finding the way of making it work. But working with partners like DigitalHealth.London, I completely agree, is brilliant. Innovate UK, there are numerous bodies that we work with regularly to, to really harness innovation because it's what we need to do. We can't stand still and we don't have all the ideas mm. uh, and if we thought that we'd be fools so I'm glad there are people like Tom out there who are solving these ideas and coming to us with, uh, with them uh, and we need to find more ways of making it easy yeah, I completely agree, it's, it's about partnerships it's about sitting down with someone realising that you have a shared challenge and going and solving it together and then you know what the central bodies can do is they can just reduce the friction to that happening yeah. and uh, just to add into that we, even this conversation I'm thinking we could use Doctor Doctor based on what you've described for you some of the uh, pre-planned uh, non-emergency transport that we deliver where we're trying to think about how we could make it, often as a healthcare professional, booking in a patient transfer. There's an opportunity there well, to, to save us. So beautiful connection. It's a worthwhile podcast. Um, and um, I mean, I'm going to take this as a segue, nicely kind of set up into um, just talking briefly about th- this is kind of exactly what the theme of kind of rewired it. So... Um, Rewired, um, where, where we think the kind of show is different and um, hopefully adds value to folks is, is we for a long time provided a lot of coverage and convened communities for current NHS IT leaders, so particularly with the CCI and CI networks and we publish a bit of news along the line as well <laughs> we um, with our very good kind of news team. Um, and what we're trying to do with Rewired though is connect that world um, with um, this amazingly kind of um, um, creative disruptive, chaotic um, world of innovation and startups, many of them starting from completely different places to kind of um, where NHS organizations are starting from. And and our our thesis, our our conviction is that um, both sides of that equation need each other. They don't have all the answers. Um, Often the startups want to kind of move fast and kind of um, sweep away these kind of old ideas. But usually there's some point at which, um, I don't know whether this is true for you, Tom, perhaps you'd like to talk about it, that there's a realisation that, that it needs some partnership um, on both sides. And um, I think the more that we can create points of contact um, between those that are dealing with really knotty issues in a very kind of um, you know stressed um, health service at the moment, um, are looking for new answers and solutions, which, as you say, are often out there. It's not new solutions. It's it's picking those up that have been shown to kind of work or begun to kind of um, use elsewhere. And I think London's been blessed by some great mechanisms like DigitalHealth.London, who are presenting um, at Rewired. And we also have Tara Donnelly, for a bo- former boss, um, sort of um, being compared to Pitchfest and final as well. Um, but that, that theme about how to build and strengthen those connections and that dialogue between kind of... Um, the current NHS world and startups. Any any thoughts, guys? I completely agree. I think it's the most important thing. And I, anyone who's heard me speak, I bang on about this thing which I call gentle disruption. So I think anyone who is trying to disrupt the NHS is doing the wrong thing. What you have to do is you have to get into organisations and you have to understand the problems they have. And that's always been what we do. You know, you have to go and meet people. You have to get on the ground, go and do clinic studies, talk to clinicians, understand the challenges, and then you can fix those things from the inside out. And once you begin to do that, you kind of start this flywheel of change happening, and you can deliver savings, and you can use those savings to invest in the next set of change, and the next set of change, and the next set of change. And it's only by doing that that we'll actually see the NHS adopt technology at scale. And there's really small things you can do. So... Um, you know, going back to guys and Tommy, who are one of our early um, success stories, we started there with a really small pilot. It was a really small pilot in women's services, and it was uh, uh, 
Jenny Thomas was the, um, the GM there, and for it, she was pushing this internally, and we were struggling to get adoption. We were struggling, even though we had great financial results. And what we ended up doing was we ended up doing a beer and pizza evening. And we ended up inviting all the general managers in Guys and St. Thomas to come and have free beer and pizza. And Jenny stood up and she talked about the success of this project. And it was only by getting people together in a room to talk to each other that we managed to get the excitement going and make people believe this was possible. So it's just about bringing people together to talk. It's good to know that beer and pizza is the answer to the NHS problems as well. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm is on most board things. With that. <laughs> beer and pizza and rewind. Yeah, that's I, I, think, I think the more you can construct those kind of those opportunities for people to kind of come together and share. And even in this digital world, I think that there is still a really important kind of value paid by that face-to-face kind of meeting, um, hearing people like yourself, Ross, and people go, a light bulb comes on, there's some nugget um, that they take from it. And I think you described when we, we spoke um, prior to this, um, that it's been a journey to get to these kind of great things you're doing now. There's been some quite important steps that had to kind of um, be put in place first of all. It's an absolute journey. You've got to get the basics right. People need when they turn up to work, the PC to turn on in a reasonable time. They need to know that the basics that they expect to do their day job are there. And the people who run our control rooms and run our contact centres need to have confidence in the resilience of the systems to meet the needs of Londoners all day, every day. And if if you're not doing that, then the conversations around innovation get lost. So you've got to absolutely focus, and it's a core part of our digital strategy, is get the basics right. Uh, we are continuing to work on getting the basics right. Everyone's got to get off of the N3 network. That means replacing our entire network infrastructure, uh, which is quite complicated to explain to your clinical leads that that's what you're spending your time and effort on because they can't see anything different. It's exactly the same as it was yesterday. Uh, but in the long term, those are the things that if we don't do, we'll end up with a whole set of different issues down the path and we'll miss out the opportunity to have the right beer and pizza conversations yeah. where we generate the new ideas. So big fan of the beer and pizza too. Excellent. Ross, Tom and John, thank you so much for joining us on Digital Health Unplugged and we're really looking forward to seeing you at Rewired. For all of our listeners, registrations for uh, Rewired are still open. Just head over to digitalhealthrewired.com and we will see you next time.